Hey, little buddies, it's Uncle Rick with your weekly podcast. Today we are reading from Under Green's Banner, or The Boy Heroes of 1781. If you know anything about your history, you will know that this was during the Revolutionary War and that General Nathaniel Green was a very important American leader in that war. He was a Quaker growing up. And the Quaker church did not believe in military things. They didn't believe in fighting. But he changed his views and began to study the military sciences and ended up with a general's commission in Washington's army. Anyway, what we're reading today is um, a scene that follows the Battle of Guilford Courthouse, where General Green was defeated but caused the British army so much damage that it was said Another such victory will ruin us. But let's continue with this great book by reading chapter 9. An interrupted welcome. After his defeat at Guilford, General Green resolved to carry the war into South Carolina. The British followed, but with caution, for it was like trailing a wounded lion, which growls all the time and is likely to turn upon his hunters. Green at times turned on his pursuers and inflicted heavy damage. Going back into South Carolina pleased Rodney and Jack. They would soon reach ground familiar to them both, and they hoped to pay off some old scores with the Tories. Besides this, it would permit them to be near Callaway Manor, where both Dora and Alice were, and they feared that the girls would need at times the strength of their protecting arms. It had not been their fortune to encounter Captain Sampson or Red Dan at Guilford, for they did not come in contact with Tarleton's horse, that means Tarleton's cavalry. But now that they were riding south, they felt assured that they would soon meet these two worthies again. Callaway Manor was a large estate, which had been in possession of the house for many years. Its former owners had beautified it until it was one of the fairest plantations in the Palmetto State. The old manor house standing on a rise back of a grove of stately trees whose shade lent a cooling freshness to the landscape. Being near at one dusk, Rodney proposed to his friend and companion a ride to the place, and in a short time they dismounted in front of the long vine-covered porch, which was supported by enormous columns. A faithful slave first discovered them, and their arrival was the signal for great rejoicing. They were escorted into a great parlor, where they found the master of the place ready to greet them. The two girls, their eyes gleaming with pleasure, added zest to the welcome, and in a little while the sumptuous repast was set before the young troopers. The boys had much to tell, the marches with Green, the fierce fight at Guilford, in which they had taken such a prominent part, the stubborn retreat into South Carolina, and finally the hopes of soon seeing the end of the war, with the establishment of a new nation devoted to freedom in North America. In the midst of Rodney's recital of an incident from the retreat, a darkie bounded into the dining room, his eyes rolling in fright and his breath no longer at his command. De Tories, they coming down the road, he finally made out to say. They a thousand strong and they coming for the young dragoons. In an instant, everybody left the table and the boys, seizing their weapons, bolted for the door. The night had not fairly settled over the scene for objects were discernible some distance away. One glance was enough. The road leading past the house, and between it and the first line of trees, seemed full of men. The jingle of warlike weapons was distinctly heard, and after a look, the door was closed. "'Is it Tarleton?' asked Thomas Calloway. "'I think not. Colonel Tarleton could hardly be in this neighborhood just now. 
It may be a band of Tories led by some such fellow as Captain Sampson, or Red Dan, and we shall soon see. Almost before the last words had left Roddy's lips, a band halted in front of the mansion, and a part of it separating rode round it, forming in a moment a cordon of living humanity. Silence reigned within the manor house. Come out and surrender, called a loud voice. We have you all in a trap. Come out or take the consequences. Before he could be restrained, Thomas Calloway opened the door and stepped boldly upon the porch. At sight of him, a shout of derision cleft the air. The old lion himself, laughed the leader of the Tories. Where are the cubs? What is wanted? We want the young rebels whom you harbor. That's what we're here for. You mean, come, no word spoken for time. We'll not put up with delay. Trot out the rebel whelps, I say. You must be mistaken. You, We trailed them here. They're inside, was the unceremonious interruption. Men, I trust you won't inflict any indignities upon the young ladies under my care. We won't do more than look at the beauties, perhaps, but we want the rebel cubs. Rodney and Jack quivered with indignation behind the heavy oaken door. Will you surrender them? demanded the heavily bearded leader of the forayers. We can't remain here all night in a fruitless parley. Calloway's blood boiled in his veins. Then, he cried, if you want the guests of Calloway Manor, you must come and take them. This defiance sent a cry heavenward from the throats of the men in the road. And we'll take him, too. The master of the manor turned and re-entered the mansion. As the door closed behind him, a heavy plank shot into its place, and the portal was barricaded against the enemy. A few moments of most painful silence followed this act, and then the troopers outside sent up a chorus of maddening yells. You'll defy the king, eh? they cried. Silence, which meant yes, was the only reply. Those inside heard a command as it was spoken by the leader of the Tory band, and all withdrew a short distance. Suddenly the stillness outside was broken by a volley, and bullets hurtled through the shutters to strike the wall inside with dismal thuds. The girls stood erect, refusing to retire to a place of safety, and Thomas Calloway, who had vanished for a moment, came back with an armload of loaded muskets. We are prepared for a pretty good siege, you see, he said with a smile to the boys. They will have some sport taking Fort Calloway, I'm thinking. In a little while, the demand for surrender was repeated, but it met with a stern refusal. How many are out there? queried Jack. I think I counted 26 in front of the house, but there are others behind it. And we're only five. Do you want to be smoked out? This was the usual Tory threat, for men of Captain Sampton's ilk did not hesitate to apply the torch, no matter if women and children were in jeopardy. Cowards, do your worst, answered Mr. Calloway with his lips at the door. We don't expect any mercy from a band of Tory cutthroats. Fearful that the fire, if started at all, would begin in the rear of the house among the smaller buildings, Rodney ran through the room and saw a window in the kitchen. Halting there, rifle in hand, he looked out upon the gathering shadows. A man was creeping toward the manor house like an Indian. He bellied the ground like a panther, wriggling his way forward through the low bushes. Rodney raised the lower sash without notice and waited. Nearer and nearer came the man. When near the house, he drew something from his bosom and struck his flint. The little spark, no larger than a pea, leaped up, and then the toe caught. The hand of the boy ranger clutched the gun more firmly. He rested it upon the sash, and taking aim at the crouching figure, touched the trigger. The report was followed by a cry, and the man leaped into the air and fell among the bushes. 
One less Tory, I trust, said Rodney as he ran back to report his success. The shot was followed by a number of revengeful cries, and another volley was poured through the front windows, fortunately inflicting no injuries on the besieged. What's that? exclaimed Jack, as the sound of an axe reverberated through the manor. They're felling one of the younger trees. For a battering ram, they'll storm the door. Thomas Calloway set his teeth hard, but did not speak. He knew that the door, despite the barricade, could not long resist a battering ram in the hands of ten or twenty determined men. It is a fight to the finish, he said at last as he looked at the boys. Calloway Manor shall not be surrendered so long as its master lives. That's right, and you'll find us with you to the bitter end, was the response. One of the girls who had been stationed at the kitchen window reported that everything was quiet in that direction. The summary death of the incendiary seemed to have quieted the marauders on that side of the house, but the making of the battering ram went on. Each blow of the axe seemed to shorten the doom of the devoted defenders of the manor. At last the stroke ceased. The terrible weapon was finished. Now, for the last time, we demand your surrender, came from without. Clearly that was Captain Sampson's voice, said Rodney. Yes, I'm Captain Sampson. I'm the man who wants to settle with you young rebel cubs. For the last time, I say, will you surrender? For the last time, no, Captain Sampson withdrew. It'll come now, said Thomas Calloway, as he picked up one of the muskets and made ready for a stubborn defense. Sure enough, it did come. For all at once there came to the alert ears of the besieged the tramping of many feet on the porch and a blow that seemed to twist the door on its heavy hinges. But the barricade did not yield. Three rifles were thrust through openings in the shutters and flashed in the faces of the men on the porch. There were cries of mortal pain, horrible curses, and imprecations of all kinds. The volley had told. There came a shuffling of feet on the porch, and next another rush, the long timber crashing against the door and knocking one of the irons that held the barricade to the floor. The critical moment had arrived. All saw that another attack would send the door from its hinges and that the house would swarm with the enemy. Yet there was no sign of yielding. Quick, shouted Thomas Calloway at the top of his voice. The powder, spring the mine, and let all friend and foe perish together. The command which the stern old Whig uttered with such emphasis was intended to convey the impression to the enemy outside that the house, or at least a portion of it, had been undermined for a dire emergency, and that a spark would send it hurtling into the air, bearing its ruins, friends and foe alike. A startling silence followed on the words. Then there was a hasty scrambling from the porch, the Tories in their haste fairly tumbling over one another in their eagerness to escape the peril they thought awaited them. They're gone, exclaimed Miss Alice. The threat shows that a Tory is, after all, afraid of gunpowder. A smile wreathed the lips of the old master of the manor. Now, for a breathing spell, said he, we can repair the damage done to the door. The missing staple was found on the floor and driven into a new place in the heavy oaken frame. The barricade was replaced and the door made as stout as possible. The two boys knew that their horses had fallen into Captain Sampson's possession, but they were still uncaptured and hoped to give the murderous band the best fight possible. For some little time, silence reigned around the manor house. If we were outside with some of the legion, there would be a great scampering of Tories, said Rodney. As you say that Lee is not far away, it's possible he may have heard the fire and will come to our rescue. 
It was sure to ride this way if the fires reached his ears. Let us hope that it has. That was Miss Alice. By this time, there seemed to be a reaction of sentiment on the foe's part. They appeared to have seen through the ruse which had chased them back, and now they came on again. Will you not surrender and spare the effusion of blood? asked Captain Sampson. Why surrender to you? was the response. Because you are greatly outnumbered. Calloway Manor is a fort that will be defended to the last extremity. Then the mercy you may get by submitting may not be tended at all. Mercy is not expected. Just as you will, growled the Tory captain. I think if we were only outside, we could soon put a different face on affairs, whispered Rodney at his juncture. The house is surely watched on all sides, and it might be difficult to get through the enemy's lines, but... Very well. If you're willing to try your stratagem, you shall have a chance, responded Thomas Calloway. There is the underground passage. Is there such a thing connected with the manor? There is, but it has not been used during the war that I know of. Where is it? Alice will show it to you. The young girl turned away and left the room, followed by the two boys. Mr. Calloway and Dora were left to hold the foe at bay in a parley as long as possible. Alice Calloway descended steps into the cellar, carrying a light in her hands. Traversing the wine vault, she came to a door set into the wall. There's the passage, said she. It terminates underneath the spring house, where there's a door to the floor. The passageway is very ancient, for it was there long before father was born. Having been built, it is supposed, by old Aldrin Calloway, who fought under Cromwell. He may have built it for safety from the Indians, but of that we're not certain. Rodney caught hold of the iron ring, which was set in the door of the passageway, and by main strength pulled it open. A dark, cavernous opening yawned in his face. Alice held the light so that its rays revealed a flight of steps which seemed to lead into the bowels of the earth, but which, in fact, did not lead very far down. Now, bring three or four muskets hither, Jack, said the boy blacksmith. We'll treat these Tories to a fire in the rear, something they've never yet been known to stand. Jack bounded back to the room where Mr. Calloway and Dora stood and returned with four guns. You will shut the door behind us, Rodney said to Alice. We'll find the door at the other end of the tunnel. Keep up a stout heart, and if we do not outwit Captain Sampson and his band, it'll not be our fault. The boy partisans now plunged into the tunnel, and Alice pushed the heavy door back into place. Then she listened a while and heard faint sounds beyond the portal, which told her that the daring young Whigs were gliding through the darkness underground, bent on the stratagem they had in view. "'It's as dark as Egypt in here,' said Rodney, as he guided himself by keeping a hand on the cold wall. "'Darker even than that,' was the reply behind him. "'Never mind, we must play our hand out. Remember that we're dealing with Captain Sampson.' "'Huh, just as if I could forget it for a moment.' Down the tunnel the boys made their way, keeping as close together as possible, and each bore his share of the muskets and extra ammunition. The old passage seemed endless. At last, however, they reached the end of the tunnel, for they were stopped by a solid wall. We must be underneath the spring house. It would seem so, for this is the end of the tunnel. Rodney felt overhead and moved his hand over the great flat stone. I found the trap, he whispered to his companion. Ah, oh, that's good luck. Yes. Now with me, place your shoulders against the stone and let's see if we can raise it. The boys drew close together and placing their strong shoulders against the stone above them, exerted all their strength and found that it moved. Another trial 
and it fell backward, and they drew themselves up out of the pit. The muskets were pulled out after them, and they stood free again. The old spring house was about two hundred yards from the manor house and stood among a lot of trees. The boys did not take time to inspect their surroundings. As they hastened toward Calloway Manor, they suddenly stopped, for there were shouts of triumph in that direction. The demons have fired the house. Look, Jack! This seemed true, for a tongue of flame had leaped heavenward, and as it gathered in volume, the boys stood transfixed with horror, as it seemed. The brutes! hissed Jack. Come, we may not be too late. They sprang forward with the agility of young panthers and soon gained a place in the enemy's rear. Now let them have it, said Rodney. Fire the muskets as rapidly as possible and I'll do the rest. The boys discharged the muskets one after the other and Rodney's voice was heard above the din. Forward, Virginians! No mercy to the Tories of the Carolinas! America forever! The effect was electrical. In a moment there were signs of scurrying in front of the manor house, and men were heard flying in all directions. A fire in the rear was something the horrors of the revolution could not stand. Forward! Death to the villains of the South! Rodney cried out. Some more shots were fired from the muskets, and as the boys dashed forward they found no one to oppose them. There still rung in their ears sounds of flight as Captain Sampson and his band urged their horses from the scene of the unexpected attack. The boys were on the porch in a little while. Look, the door's beaten in, exclaimed Jack. Can it be the enemy's accomplished his purpose? They stopped a second at the door, which swung brokenly from its hinges, while behind the house the flames were creeping upward in their eagerness to leave it a heap of ashes. Where are you, friends? cried Rodney, halting in the dark and the silence. There was no response. The boys now threw open the doors that had led from the room into the chambers, and this led a flood of firelight into the place. They're gone. Captain Sampson's captured all. It seemed indeed true, for certain signs showed that a desperate struggle had taken place in the parlor. But Mr. Calloway and the two girls were missing. Oh, we must have been just a few seconds too late, said Rodney, with a sigh. It looked so. It now became the boys' duty to save the grand old house, and in this they were assisted by some of the slaves who had returned from hiding from the Tory band. By persistent efforts on the part of all, the fire was subdued, and nothing but a few charred planks showed where it had gnawed its mad way. Afoot, with their friends in the hands of Captain Sampson, Rodney and Jack felt the old sting of rage and keen disappointment. The servants told them how the Tories had ridden off when the attack in the rear began, and how they had previously rushed the house, despite the defense put up by those inside. They must be followed, exclaimed Rodney. Captain Sampson must not boast of his triumph long. But the horses... Not a horse had been left on the premises by the enemy. Cup, the head slave, a giant of a man, and one devotedly attached to his master, volunteered to assist the boys in their pursuit, but it was feared that little headway could be made without horses. The Tories had taken the road leading across country, in which three miles away struck a river, barely fordable. Pursuit seemed almost out of the question, but the boys were not to be discouraged. It was feared that the life of Thomas Calloway was in danger, for he had been such a pronounced enemy of the king, and on several occasions had rendered Marion a good deal of assistance. This had made him a marked man by the British and Tories, and we've already seen how near death he had been while a prisoner in their hands. Horses and no horses, we must follow them, Rodney cried. Well, I'm with you, of course, but, well, are there no Tory horses nearby? Who owns the next plantation, Cupe? Massa Brunix, 
Is he a Whig or Tory? You don't say much, but he's not a Whig. He keep mighty still these days, which means that he sympathizes with the king. Has he any horses? Oh, yes, sir. He got the best in the district. Show us the way to Mr. Brunix's. Cupe was delighted to do this, for he had no love for the man he had mentioned. The three reached the Brunix stables in a short run. They stood well secluded, and Cupe led the way to the door. If Brunix is a wig, he'll have no horses, said Rodney. If Tory, we'll find him in the stables. It did not take long to open the stable door. Look, horses galore, exclaimed Jack, who was the first to enter. That settles Mr. Brunix's politics, was the reply. And in a few moments, three steeds were saddled and led forth. The trio mounted, and a musket was placed in Cupe's hands. Forward, cried Rodney. No rest now till we found Captain Sampson and his band. The animals, eager to get out of the stables, bounded forward like Roman racers, and the trio soon struck the Tory trail. They'll make for the ford, the upper one being nearest, remarked Rodney. Why not strike across country and make the ford first? That's it. This was done, and after some hard riding, the pursuers reached the ford. Rodney dismounted and examined the ground. I fear we've missed it. No one's been here tonight. Well, I'm just going to have to try another ford, but that's the end of the story for now. If you want to hear more, just go uh, back on to the club and read un or listen to Under Green's Banner or The Boy Heroes of 1781. Well, the good guys won that little fight, didn't they, fellers and gals? And with that, we're going to have to close up shop for today because I'm out of time. So I will leave you with my very best wishes for God's blessing on your lives, my little friends. And uh, don't forget, always put God first in your life. Be a patriotic American and honor thy father and thy mother. So long. Parents, if your kids love today's visit with Uncle Rick, know that they will love the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. The Uncle Rick Audiobook Club allows access to dozens more stories, both from the Bible and history, to help your kids learn about godly character. Here's what one parent had to say about the Uncle Rick Book Club. Uncle Rick products are such a delight to our family. Our kiddos listen nightly to the Bible stories and fall asleep listening to God's word. These Bible audios are such a super reinforcement to what we as parents already teach our children. They provide our kids with a kind, gentle voice, pointing them to obey God and his word. Thank you. That was from Shelley. You can access the Uncle Rick book club at UncleRickAudios.com. See you there.